ora everyone. Um, man, um, I don't know why, but my heart is like beating out of my chest tonight. And I, um, I feel like, um, as I was praying and preparing for this, I think the Holy Spirit wants to do something really special here tonight. So I want to prepare you for that. that um, I, I, I often say this and it's not true, but I'm not going to share for that long. Um, and, um, and, uh, and then I want, to, um, I want you guys, to, as I speak, to really... Pre- uh, not be surprised when we go into a time at the end of listening to what the Spirit is saying um, at a time that for some of you may be a little wacky or a little weird, but I, I really feel like that's what we need to do tonight. So I'm going to share for a little bit. Um, before I do, I um, just want to acknowledge um, a few people in the room. Really cool to have the Manawa Ahi Fano here, um, and particularly awesome Devon to have you in town. Um, it's, um, yeah, I've been really inspired in our friendship over the last year. And Devin has this amazing uh, son called Lockie, who is just like the most genuine uh, person you will ever meet. Um, so, um, awesome to have you guys here tonight. Um, I spotted some Anglican whanau around, um, so I'm going to choose the one who would least like to be singled out in the crowd and say, Rebecca, great to have you here with us tonight. Um, <laughs> Um, from the cathedral, and um, then um, also um, Cindy Rokiari is with us tonight, and um, many of you who are new here over the last year or two would have heard um, the story of the, the, the prototype vision for Blueprint, um, and that is something that Cindy gave to us, and um, she has uh, just been um, an, an incredible um, prophetic presence in our community and a friend over the last few years. So I've sold, told Cindy if it gets weird later to just go hard and not ask permission, <laughs> just get amongst it. Um, we'd, we'd be stoked for that. Um, so um, I am a little afraid that some of tonight might be a message that nobody wants to hear, um, but I, I got to give one of those at Easter camp too, so it can only get better. Um, so um, first, yeah, first up, I mean, we are, I mean, Jesus is risen. Yes, he's risen indeed. Um, and so we are the weekend after that. And the gospel, um, the gospel put, put simply is this. Jesus lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He rose again so that the ultimate power in the universe, death, would be submitted to him. And if he has overcome death, then he has overcome sin and decay and restored humanity back to him. Um, and that's really exciting. Like, that's really, really good news. Um, that like Jesus has won, Jesus has defeated death. Um, like we should be pumped on this, um, and 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 I'm pumped up about that. Um, and so the, the one of the passages that follows this is this one from John twenty nineteen to thirty one. And basically, what you've got here is that uh, the disciples have ended up in this room, and they are totally freaking out um, because they think the Jewish leaders are coming to kill them. So they bolted the room shut. And they're like, maybe if we just stay here long enough eating bread and wine, no one will come. Um, And so it says this here, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So Jesus comes into this room. And at first, they're probably like, number one, how did you get into this room? It's all locked down. So he's like done the walking through walls thing at some point. Um, and then he has kind of lifted up his shirt and shown them his wrists and like, yeah, it's really me, guys. Check it out. Um, and they are uh, they're pumped up. 
And then he says to them, he breathes on them. So he's doing a lot of weird things in quick succession here. Like, whoa, into the room, fleshy hand. Um, and, um, and, and comes into this room and then says, receive the Holy Spirit. And, and one of the things you read when you read the commentaries around this stuff is it was not unusual for a prophet in this time to have a time of positioning their successes. So kind of what's going on here in this passage is Jesus going, who will succeed me? Who will carry on after me? Um, and we see that in verse 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So Jesus is asking them to take up the mantle of his work. And there are like four things I reckon in here that mark the presence of Jesus and mark the presence of his people, which I want to go through quickly. Um, and the first of these is that followers of Jesus must always be dying. Followers of Jesus must always be dying. Death is the only pathway Christ offers us to life. The only way. There is no other way to the life that Jesus promises us except death. There is no way but the cross. That's it. Christ was clear. Luke 9.23, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross. Luke 9.24, anyone who tries to keep their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it. John 3.21, if you desire to be my disciple, then you must be born again. You have to die and start over. There is no other way to follow Jesus. You like it? And for our generation, this means a death to the identities we hold above Christ. You see, the disciples lost their jobs, they lost their families, they lost their communities, they lost their inheritances, and eventually their lives, all to follow Jesus. A faith without losing who you are is not an option. You can't have a faith where you don't lose who you are. And that means your reputation, your capability, and your intelligence have to go as your guiding identity in order to follow Jesus. And sometimes I think for some of us who have been on the road with Jesus for a while, the thing that needs to die, the identity that needs to shift, is the Christian identity we put ahead of Jesus. And so what I mean by that is any word that you put in front of Christian or follower of Christ to justify your Christianity, whether it's Pentecostal, whether it's charismatic, whether it's radical, whether it's revolutionary, whatever it is, whether it's social justice warrior, whatever you put ahead of Jesus has to die. It has to die, so it's only him, and he may lead you back to those things, but all of that must die. A couple of years ago, I was at this really exciting social justice conference in, um, in Aussie, and I'd been really, really fired up by it. And I was coming through the airport on the way out, and I, was, I said out loud as I was coming through customs, I hope no one heard me, but I was like, God, I'm like, I need something to lay my life down for. And in that moment, my phone goes, bring. And I'm like, look at it. And there's an email. And it says, Dear Scotty, and some of you are going to struggle with this, but I kind of prayed about whether to share this or not. See, Dear Scotty, me and a group of Catholics gather outside the hospital and we pray about the state of abortion law in our country. And we stand there and we pray and we wonder, will you come and pray with us? I said, God, I wanted one of those cool causes. I wanted one of the cool causes, you know? Like I wanted to like stand for refugees or against the TPPA, you know? Like I wanted one of those identity bolstering causes. 
Like, not one of these divisive ones. And I'm thinking in my head, well, this is complicated because Anna and I have had to walk journeys with young girls when they've had to make those decisions. And there's something about me which looks to what happens outside the hospital and would hate to think what that makes one of those young girls feel that we have journeyed with. But then the other narrative running through my mind is these people who ride bicycles and physically assault those Catholic people out on that pavement for silently praying. And I felt God say, will you stand with your brothers or sisters whether you agree with them or not? Whether you can reconcile it or not. Whether it fits with your progressive ideology or not. Will you move on from being a progressive Christian, a radical Christian, a revolutionary Christian, and just be a follower of me? I don't, I don't want a revolution that's humiliating. Jesus said, well, mine was. So I got home and I said, sure, I'll come down and pray with you. And I thought of all the people who I know in Newtown who might walk or drive past there. And I thought about city council contracts and those people driving past. And I thought, God has said, go stand whether you agree or not. So I stood there and I prayed and I worshipped and I got to know the people and I held this little cross in my hand that that handed me. And you know what? Something of that old identity had to die in me in that moment. Something died in me in that moment. And some of you right now might be really struggling with what I'm telling you. And what I'm not telling you here is that I'm totally in alignment and I'll join them every other day outside there. What I'm saying is God said go, surrender your identity. And when God says go, your only option is yes or no. And sometimes he will ask you to go somewhere you don't really want to go and you feel totally uncomfortable with going to. And if that makes you uncomfortable, lean into that discomfort. So number one, the followers of Jesus must always be dying. Secondly, Death is how we are recognised as Christ's followers. See, when Jesus walks in, they don't know who he is immediately. He is identified by the scars in his hands and his wrists. He is identified by the hole in his side. And in the next passage, we hear of Thomas going to him. And Thomas says, I won't believe you unless I can touch the holes in your hands, unless I can reach my palm into your side. Death is how they knew it was Jesus. Not glowing light. And resurrection, Christ is recognised not by his resurrection, but by the marks of death on him. And I think that must be true of his followers too. That we should be recognised by a degree of death in us. I remember a couple of years ago at a Blueprint camp, a bunch of people sharing stories of the stuff that God was doing in their lives and the pain that they wrestled with. And someone came up to me and said, I don't know if I'm broken enough for this church. And I kind of think that's the kind of church we're meant to be. See, Jesus was crucified and rose again. But it's not that this just once happened. It's that it's happening to all of us all the time. That this process of death and resurrection is outworking in our spirits and our bodies at all moments. This weird paradox that parts of you and I are on the cross all of the time. Parts of you and I are dying all of the time. Our self-interest, our craving for reputation, our materialism is rotting and falling off us as we follow Jesus. But parts of us are also walking out of the tomb. 
free in his resurrection life. Our broken sexualities are being healed. Our addictions we walk free of. We are these kinds of spiritual zombies where we're kind of decaying and living all the time. Anyone watch The Walking Dead? Just like that. Um, um, and Paul has this amazing imagery for this in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 2.15, he says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. So there's the sense that as a Christian steps into the room, there is the smell of decomposing of flesh alongside the smell of a newborn baby. It's a very, very weird thing. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 14, We carry around the death of Christ within us so that his life may be made evident. You know, it's in the same way that you cannot have two mountains without a valley. You cannot have the high without the low. You cannot have the resurrection without the death. You cannot. And so this decay and this coming alive is is happening us all the time. And so what this means is that parts of us, parts of our old identity, parts of who we think we are, should always be rotting and falling off. Colossians 3, 5, Paul says, Put to death the old self. Your sexual immorality, your impurity, your lust, your evil desires, your greed and idolatry. Let it rot off you like a spiritual zombie. And so a question I want to ask today, or a few questions I want to put to us, and and I've got a bit after this, so don't think I'm finishing. (laughs) What is the last thing that died and fell off you as a Christian? What is rotting away? When was the last time it really hurt to follow Jesus? When was the last time you were close to the metaphor he gives us of experiencing our own crucifixion? When was the last time that happened? So there is this death, there is this decay, but we're also coming alive at the same time. Death is for the purpose of freedom, not for the purpose of just death. Death is the gateway through which we enter new life. We can't follow the path of Jesus without passing through this narrow gate of death. But Christ didn't enter the grave to revel in the grave. He entered it to conquer it and defeat it for life. Paul said it perfectly. I just think this is what I'm going to read here. is one of the most beautiful passages of scripture in, in the, whole, the, whole, the whole Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 50 onwards. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the dead inherit the living. Listen, I tell you a mystery, a paradox. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised to life, and we will be changed. For the dead must clothe itself with the living, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. My word, what a hope. What a hope. Like That's almost enough to make a non-charismatic congregation like us leap up on our feet. (laughs) 
Death has been defeated. We go through death, but we come out in resurrection life. Do we know this? Do we remember this? Or is it just one big slog until we hit the grave? There is mourning and death, but there is joy in coming alive. You know, and I've talked about it many times here before. But a few years ago, I fell into this dark place of mental anguish and depression. And it was this dark time of two or three years where I thought I would never come out. But as those last few months came and I began to see the sun come up again, there is nothing in my life I am more grateful for than God's liberation in that moment. And I would almost say I would go through the whole journey again just for God bringing liberation and salvation, just for God to come through. I would go through the death again for the life that God brings at the end of it. And I'll say that to some of you who struggle here today, that man, the life is rich. Man, the redemption is sweet. Man, the resurrection is incredible. And maybe this joy is something we've lost a little bit. There is mourning and death, but there is joy in coming alive. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the fullest. So Christians are known by our death. We must always be dying, but there is life. And where does this new life come from? This new life comes from the Spirit of God. Where Jesus breathes and says, Holy Spirit, come upon these people. And there are two parallels Jesus intended here as he spoke this. One of them is Genesis 2, 7, where we have the dust and the man without air in his lungs. And it says that God breathed life into him and he rose up. Jesus goes to his disciples a couple of days after he has died and breathes life into them and says, come alive as the people of God again. The other one, which must be the second most epic passage of scripture ever, my word, is Ezekiel 37, where this prophet Ezekiel is taken in this vision to this valley of dry bones. Who knows this one? Keep your hand up if you like it. No hands went down. More hands went up. Um, And he sees this valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel said, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds, breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came up to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. And these are the two passages that Jesus is thinking about as he breathes the Holy Spirit life onto his disciples. There is mourning and death, but there is joy in coming alive. And so today, I I think in the dry places and in the dusty places that God wants to bring us alive again. And I think in the places where we have settled for just trudging along God's spirit wants to come and refresh some of us and fill us again with the hope of his resurrection. That it's not just a metaphor. That God truly wants to come and fill us with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And there's a couple of things I just want to put out here for Blueprint if you're one of the many visitors tonight. Don't worry. 
but I sometimes feel like with this stuff. No, actually, I'm going to pack it then. We'll let God do the convicting. (laughs) (laughs) If you are hungry for that resurrection life, let's all just close our eyes a moment. If you are hungry for this not just to be a fairy tale anymore, but you are hungry to enter into the whole journey of death and resurrection with Jesus, where who you were falls away, where the labels you put on yourself and the world puts on you fall away and you step into a new living. If that's you, we don't normally do this here, but I just ask you to stand with every eye closed. 